coming up on the Soundcast episode 47. Sasha Dikichian and Jeremy Myers join us to talk about the early release of the Prometheus soundtrack on iTunes. And later, we get into soundtracking best practices tunes. And later, we get into soundtracking best practices. Coming up on the Soundcast episode 47. Sasha Dikichian and Jeremy Myers join us to talk about the early release of the Prometheus soundtrack on iTunes. And what is up, podcast people and soundtrack geniuses around the world? You are listening to The Soundcast, episode 47 of The Soundcast, which is the official podcast of TrackSounds.com. And on the show with us today, of course, is Marius Massilar all the way up in Canada. How are you, Marius? Very good. Awesome. And the Honorable Helen San is back and in full effect. (laughs) How are you, Helen? I'm fine. Thank you. It's good to have you back on. And... uh, Representing the United Kingdom in two fronts, the way the Whalian front is Edmund Miners. How are you, Edmund? I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be done with school. Yeah. Well, I've got one exam left. Oh, can't celebrate yet. Nope. But close. And Richard Buxton also in the UK in London. How are you, Richard? Hey, I'm good. Thank you. Good. You are out of school, right? Uh, sort of. So, <laughs> I don't quite know what that means, but um, <laughs> neither do I. It sounds good, I guess. Um, Well, if you're new to the Soundcast, the Soundcast, we are totally dedicated to film music, television music, video game music, um, and talking with the great people who are in that industry as well. Um, And we have two guests tonight, and you're going to be excited to hear these guys and what they have to share. Sasha Dikichien, of course, composer extraordinaire of... Uh, game scores such as Quake 3 Arena, if you want to go way back in the day. Borderlands, of course, the award-winning Space Marine. And by award-winning, I do mean a Q award. Uh, and and most recently, Mass Effect 3. And then the mysterious Project X, which is <laughs> coming to something near us. Yes. Sasha, yes. welcome to the Soundcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank it's you. great to have you on. It's great to have you on. Fortunately, we know you can't stay um, for the full show, but um, we do have you on for a very important discussion in the show. Um, so that's going to be cool. And we also have on again is Jeremy Myers, who's the founder of Deeper Context, which is a mini documentary company. Um, and Jeremy, you're on with us about a month ago, so I can say welcome back to the Soundcast. Yay, glad to be back. It's <laughs> good to have you back. Uh, well, on episode 47, just to let you guys know what's coming up, we're going to be talking about a few things, um, some sidetracks where I don't know if you guys have heard, but um, and we're going to start there tonight. Um, this new Star Trek, the motion picture, incredible mo- uh, Mondo release coming soon from La La Land Records. Then we're going to talk about this Prometheus score. I don't know if anybody's heard of that uh, score at all, but uh, somehow that made its way to um, the Internet a little early. And uh, we'll do, of course, what we've been listening to. And then our main topic of the night, and this is a very, very different topic for us. We're going to be talking about how we listen to our soundtracks um, because there are lots of ways these days. And uh, so we're going to talk about streaming, what streaming services we like to use, uh, where we like to buy our music, what offline media players we use when we're not streaming our music. Uh, So I think this is going to be a kind of a different but 
just as interesting topic because there's probably some tools and services out there that people don't know about. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to this uh, conversation tonight. Um, so let's kick it off and we'll go right into sidetracks uh, tonight. And um, Marius, talk about this uh, new Star Trek release that came out of the blue. Yeah, let's start with Star Trek. Um, so, exactly, out of the blue today, we got the news that we're going to be seeing a release, or a re-release, or a supreme release of um, Star Trek The Motion Picture Score um, in three discs. Um, so, the first two discs, well, actually, the first disc and a bit are going to be the original score as we've heard it. Um, but this edition is also going to include some rejected cues, apparently. So that's kind of exciting. Um, and a whole selection of alternate cues and some uh, cover versions and so on and so forth. And apparently the release is coming fairly soon. It's June 5th. Um, this is all from La La Land Records, by the way. Um, and it is a limited printing of, uh, I think, 10,000 10, units? Yep. Yeah, 10,000 units. Um, and if you're the partying type, they're having a sort of soiree release excitement thing uh, on the 4th uh, at the Arclight in Hollywood. So if you're a big fan, I'm sure you'll be able to go out, see some cosplay. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> Now, this is the 4th of June, right? Yeah, June. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Now, Sasha, you're the only one who's within striking distance of that. Is that something that interests you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm yeah. not, I'm not, personally, I'm not the... the biggest hugest fan but uh you're into cosplay though right say wait say again i said you're into cosplay though right (laughs) (laughs) you're just going for the costumes absolutely (laughs) so are you saying you're not that big of a fan of jerry goldsmith no i'm i'm a huge fan of jerry goldsmith (laughs) but just that here you go again (laughs) um okay (laughs) Um, well, I mean, what do you guys, what do you guys think about this release? I mean, I was absolutely gobsmacked. I was like, where did this come from? And why did I know, why did I not know about it sooner? Um, that's some, I can hardly wait to get my hands on that. What do do the rest of you guys think? I'm not so surprised. We've been seeing a lot of expanded Star Trek releases recently. Undiscovered Country came out. Um, The Voyage Home came out recently. First Contact just a couple months ago. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, considering that it's widely held to be one of the best, if not the best, of the series, I'm not surprised that it's going to get the La La Land treatment. Hmm. Even though, uh, although I, even though we have heard most of the score as heard in film on previous albums, I'm sure I, I am intrigued by the thought of those rejected cues. It reminds me of the situation with Alien yeah, a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Who well, knows the, I mean, there was hearing. a pretty deluxe release, a two-disc release, I think. Um, I have that one. I believe it's two discs. So that's why I kind of didn't think, well, they've already done that. So this this surprised me um, quite a bit, actually. Anybody going to grab this thing when it's available? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, now, Helen, was it you who's not the biggest fan of this particular Star Trek, or is that someone else? No, I like <laughs> Star Trek. Yeah, I mean this particular one. I, I'm trying to remember. There was something. No, maybe that was John Williams stuff. But you're a big fan of the this that particular Star Trek movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I okay. like all of them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Especially but, the even numbered ones, of course. The even. So with this one, wouldn't be even. 
That's true, but... <laughs> but the odd number of Star Trek films are sort of tend to be the weaker runs in the link in the That's series. Right. Yeah, kind of. I mean, that doesn't. It only hold. It, it's not a very strong thing because I like the first one. I hated it when I was a kid, as we talked about before. But I'm really excited about this. I, I won't be going to this uh, release event, but. I will definitely be getting this score one way or well, I shouldn't say one way or another. I will be getting this score. <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, that was some exciting news that we that we got just today. But now there was some more exciting news um, that hit while I think I was watching the Avengers for the second time. I came home. People are tweeting at me like, hey, what do you all think about the Prometheus score? I'm like, what the heck? And was like, yeah, I like this track and I like that track. I'm like, what the heck are they talking about? <laughs> and um, Sasha was kind yeah. of supposed to link to iTunes. And I was like, oh, okay. Where did this come from? Um, so can I be, can I, is it safe to assume that every one of us here has gotten, <laughs> gotten the score and are, are listening to it? Yeah, I, think I, haven't, so. I haven't gotten it yet. Uh, okay. but I have listened to it on YouTube. So, well, that's how I've listened to it too, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but you will be buying it. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know. No. Ooh. Wow. Okay. Let me just stop us right there. Yeah, you better. <laughs> <laughs> because we're going to save our 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 in depth discussion about Prometheus and its score uh, for a later date after the movie comes out. Um, today, we just want to talk about. What the heck? How did this come out so fast? Where did it come from? What was your reaction to finding out um, that it came out? And um, and and that's it, really. Um, Sasha, you, why don't you start? Because you, right. I don't, you are maybe one of the first people <laughs> to know about it and, and get it. Well, I was, uh, you know, I was just uh, basically late at night on Monday, cruising on iTunes, just uh, you know, looking at new releases like I always do, and. Uh, uh, I'm just clicking through, clicking through, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm coming across seeing this little cover of Prometheus, and I'm thinking, wait, what? <laughs> and as you know, you know, I'm obviously a huge fan, and uh, you know, Blade Runner, Ridley Scott, Alien. Um, right. I was dying to know. I mean, this, this was one of those scores where I really want to know what it sounds like. And uh, I was just first, I was like, this must be a mistake. I mean, because I looked at the release date. Uh, the official one, I think, said, uh, what was it, June 12th, 6th, or something like that. Mm. But it was in yeah. June. It, it was, was in June, for sure, yeah. It was Amazon June. Amazon says June 12th. Yeah. See, June 12th. And so I, I think my first reaction was just to uh, Skype uh, Christopher <laughs> immediately. <laughs> Be like, dude, it's on iTunes. Go, go, go. And uh, I was just, I, I mean, I couldn't wait. You know, I was downloading it and. While I was downloading it, I was already listening to the first cue, and uh, unfortunately, I'm not allowed to say anything about the music itself. But it was definitely a big surprise, and definitely made my uh, made the evening. Um, you know, went to bed late because I listened to the entire score a few times, and uh, unfortunately, some of the track titles are a bit spoilerish. Um, yeah. You know, when you just put it kind of piece it together, it's kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. But I kind of tried not to look at them, but, you know, after a while, it's really difficult to not look at those titles. But uh, it's definitely a surprise, so I'm curious to hear um, if there's anybody else who's really, you know, sort of looking forward to it, to the score, the movie. Anyone? 
Well, you, duh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to uh, presume anything. <laughs> well, the whole Prometheus, Prometheus hype has been going right over my head. I'm, I don't know. It's, it's not, it's not my thing. The whole franchise, the whole alien thing. No. Mm. Horror. Okay. In I'm general. not a Ridley Scott fan, so that's yeah, I'm, right. I'm not a big Ridley Scott He's a fan. I'm and, sorry. Yeah, I'm not a big Wrigley Scott fan, and I'm not a big horror fan. <laughs> Come on, Blade Runner! Blade <laughs> Runner! Blade Runner. Come on. Blade I like Blade horror. Runner. I like certain things he's done, and then there's certain things that I don't like. How come every time I come on this podcast, we're talking about Blade Runner? <laughs> I don't know. There's, you're just, just be glad that there's one particular title that hasn't come up yet, even don't though do Sasha's it. Don't on. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> it's don't been four or five it. episodes do since it. it's come up. <laughs> But I can say it wasn't done by Ridley Scott. So that's our new meme of the year is Ridley Scott and Blade Runner instead of something else. <laughs> pick a Scott. Say again. Pick a Scott. Um, yeah, well, I was obviously shocked and um, was very anxious to hear it myself. And uh, when I was able to finally hear it, I, you know, I'm, I, I was glad that I could hear it. Now, I did email... Uh, Sony, because it's releasing under their label, and I just got an email a couple hours back ago, back from them, um, and so here's the deal on why it got released. Uh, Sony doesn't own the digital rights to the score. Uh, Fox does, and uh, so Fox, through uh, iTunes, decided, yeah, we're going to release it early, and so that's what they did. It, was, it wasn't a leak. It wasn't an accident. It was nice. Fox knew exactly what they were doing, and so they released it. So um, what the Sony said was basically on the 5th, other digital providers, June 5th, will be able to will release it. So I'm thinking Amazon and elsewhere, Amazon MP3. And then on the 12th is when the physical CD will finally release. So what do you guys think about it? Do you like that? like these kind of surprise like hey where the heck this come from uh or do you like to know exactly when it's coming out so you can be prepared and i mean pennies and i mean i was just not prepared for this at all i mean i was like i, lo- I love stuff like that it was just uh you know because i'm usually really picky so when i cruise through itunes i usually just look and i just go nah whatever and you know this is not doesn't look interesting and then all of a sudden i saw the cover i was like oh my god what's going on you know and um I was still skeptical when I downloaded it. I started to just, you know, one eye was like semi-closed. I was like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's not that big of a deal, but it's, it's, if you're a fan, obviously, it's, um, uh, I really wanted to hear after all these amounts of trailers and teasers with all these temp and trailer yeah. music cues, you know, you were just dying to, and going back to your um, Goldsmith thing, uh, I mean, obviously, huge fan of the original score from for Alien so yeah I really wanted to see where this is going to go and you know what's being done about it and because there's some huge shoes to fill you know so oh yeah uh, I mean I'm super excited uh, to have it right now even though I'm a bit bummed out that I looked at all the, the titles but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I have actually managed to avoid the last three minute trailer so I'm very proud of myself yeah uh, that's good and it was very difficult, you know. I was just like one click away. I was like, "No, don't do it." <laughs> now, is that a different trailer from what they showed uh, in front of Avengers? Yep it's a it's a it's called the International Trailer, which is three minutes long, and it has oh evidently really really a lot of spoilerish uh, yeah. info in it. And I just said enough is enough, and I'm not gonna not gonna watch it. 
Yeah. I don't know why yeah. they do that. I mean, the central thing I of know. the movie is that the story is supposed to be what's carrying it and that's supposed to be it. And then for this specific movie, they make the trailers so spoiler filled. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, I yeah, I said the same thing to, you know, one interview, I think, uh, Sir Ridley Scott said uh, the surprises in a story. Mm-hmm. And, and then yeah, I was thinking, not anymore. Well, you know, it's like it's kind of like kind of reminds me of the uh, disaster that was that Terminator Salvation movie <laughs> where they had that uh, that big reveal about the guy being I mean, can yeah. I say, can I can I say it now? But I mean, I guess spoilers, but go for it. You know, it's it's where the one guy is actually a machine and, and he doesn't know yeah. that himself. And right. I thought, wait a minute. This is like the biggest spoiler, and they show it in the trailer, you know? So, yeah. Well, I've heard a lot of discussions about this exact topic, and, you know, you've got the, you've got the production team and the, you know, the people actually making the movie, and then you've got the marketing team. And the marketing team's job is to get butts in seats. And, you know, as they test these trailers, the, the trailers always do better when they include this, you know, these great scenes. Right. Um, they 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 track better, and so they put that junk in, and 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 the, and the, you know the directors they don't have any they have very little say. Even though I would think if anyone had say, Sir Ridley Scott would have them say. But that just tells you how how powerful these 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 companies are and their marketing teams. I I totally agree. I I think that these kind of trailers would be fine if the movie is already out. But I think that at a certain point you will reach your momentum. Uh, when when people really go, okay, I'm ready to see this now. I mean, and then the momentum yeah. kind of dies down again, and then True. you have to build it up again. And so I feel like the momentum was already there, like about let's say three weeks ago for me personally. Yeah. And but then uh, you've been you've been highly highly anticipating it. Yes, I went to Comic Con last year to see that one minute of footage. <laughs> Um, you 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 dealt with all of Comic Con to see that. One well, it was just <laughs> I just wanted to go to Comic Con just to see it for the first time because I I always wanted to go I never went, and uh, they had that panel with uh, with uh, the writer and with uh, Sir Ridley Scott being fed in via uh, satellite. It was interesting, and they showed that that original one minute trailer teaser, which I think is still the best one because it doesn't doesn't tell you anything really. But uh, yeah. Uh, again, yeah. we we have like three weeks to go, so you know, at this point, I'm not going to see anything. It's anymore. the inconsistency yeah. that bothers me, like within their marketing, because all of their internet-based, like viral marketing stuff with the Wayland Corporation was really, right. really solid uh, yeah. and right. kind of subtle. You know, like it had the it had the exact subtlety that I was hoping for. You know, it's not it's all oblique references yes. and extra information right. that's. Right. You know, supplementary stuff. And then all of a sudden these main trailers come out and they spoil so much. They're so heavy handed and it doesn't, I mean, I, I guess we haven't seen the film, so we don't know, but I certainly hope it's not indicative of the mentality that's gone into the, uh, actual film. It just, I doubt it. Yeah. It's I, almost I mean, as I, if the, the two departments don't talk to each other at all. Exactly. And they, they're going <laughs> in different directions and just sort of being like, Oh, oh the other guys will catch up. And then, I mean, you yeah. just you go back and see that original Alien trailer. I mean, I realize it's a different time, you know, seventies to yeah. that. But it's just so. I mean, it, it shows so much, but it doesn't tell you anything, which is yeah. great about it, you know. And and these trailers try to explain, okay, here's the what we found, you know, and we believe that this is not uh, this is an imitation, whatever. I'm like, I don't want to know all that stuff. Just show me something visual and <laughs> and, and well, and, talk, yeah. And, 
And think about it like this too. I mean, back in the seventies and eighties, there were no there were no on demand trailers. I mean, you could release a spoilery trailer, but it would be left to your memory to recall that, which you're probably not going to do. Whereas here, it's like, okay, I'm going to freeze frame every frame of this trailer <laughs> and dissect it and figure the whole thing out. You know, uh, so it's so easy for us to see it. There's actually, believe it or not, there's actually somebody made on YouTube. Uh, in super slow mo, the entire trailer, like at high shutter speed. Yeah. So, so there's no, you know, it looks really smooth. I mean, it's crazy. Oh, uh-huh. People, I are believe crazy. it. I haven't seen I the whole thing. It. I just saw the first second, which actually lasts five minutes. You know, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, it, it's it's our own fault, and you know, I did well up until the Avengers, and I saw that the trailer there, and I was ruined, and so I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to get everything I can get now. So I just, I just, it was, it, I was so distraught over forgetting that it was showing before the the film that I just like, all right, in a, in for a penny, in for a pound. So now I'm reading everything, I'm looking at everything, <laughs> I'm just going to get it all. But to bring us back, I mean, what do you guys? I mean, it used to be back in the day. You know, they used to release soundtracks way before the movie came out, a couple weeks or a month before, you know, back in the 90s. Helen, you probably remember that. Um, and I kind of liked that. Uh, and then, it, you know, okay. as piracy got more and more rampant, that window got smaller and smaller. And it's just like the movie's out and the soundtrack's still not out, you know, and that just drives me crazy. Um, right. Do, do you guys long for that or do you like it better for whatever reason how they do it now? I mean, uh, I I used to love that man. I remember the Phantom Menace. That yes, was that was good. So, sort of like that Phantom Menace, <laughs> yeah. most anticipated score. You know, before the you know, let's not talk about the movie. It's you know, matter of opinions. <laughs> but but uh, the score was of course something I was dying to have. And so I remember uh, standing in line um, at Tower Music on Sunset here in L.A. Um, I think it was like something like a month before the movie opened. And, uh, you know, that was just before I think Napster came up, came up and about. And, uh, I mean, it was an amazing feeling, you know, to just wait in line with, uh, with, with likewise, you know, people that are fans and, and just share that excitement, which today, you know, you click iTunes, bang, it's done. So, yeah. Yeah. You know. Well, uh, well Jeremy, you, you, know, you were with Sony for, for a number of years, so... You were probably in that transition stage as the windows for release got narrower and narrower. Can you talk about that a little bit? Why? Why are they? Why are they doing that? Sure. Actually, I was there for the release episode three. Um, the really boring answer, sadly, um, is that for CDs, um, a lot of stores when they decide whether to restock or continue ordering a CD will look at the first week sales. Um, and the further out you get from the movie, the further before the movie you get. Um, the lower the sales the first week tend to be because you know the peak the, the peak excitement is really around the weekend of opening these days. Um, mm. So the conversations I remember were were mostly about making sure that that first week sales, like the same as the the first week weekend box office, um, were maximized as much as possible, um, so that there would be um, the most likelihood of having to stay on the shelves and, and, and keep being sold. Okay. So and then of course that changed once um you know iTunes and all that stuff it it became a different thing and and we used to um window uh often depending on whether it was okay with the the movie company we would we would put the 
soundtrack out on iTunes either first or we would um, have an exclusive track or, or that kind of thing. Okay, gotcha. Hmm. Sorry, it's not more exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, you know, by default, it should always be just that. Well, I'm sure there's a good business reason for this. <laughs> well, there are business um, reasons. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, I don't know. I mean, in this case, you know, just how Sasha discovered it, it sure to create a lot of buzz all of a sudden. You know, at least people that I follow and or follow me um, were talking about it. And uh, so, I don't know. Maybe there's a new a new marketing tactic to be to be tacked on there and tried again, perhaps. Because what we're we're um, not quite a month away from the CD release, so. Well, I think that's with a, that's a good with way a score out. like this that has a lot of anticipation built up aside from the movie, um, that it makes sense to to sneak it out or or do it a little early, um, especially if it's not if it's not necessarily going to cannibalize the CD sales. If people are maybe right. going to buy both, which happens a lot if it's a particularly good score, I guess, because people want the higher sound quality. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it made it made sense, made sense for this particular score. Yeah. Well, it sure would be nice if they did, um, you know, buy the buy it, pre-order it now. You'll get the, you know, you get the MP3 version now, yes. and you get the CD when it comes out. That's something that I wish they was done more Absolutely. often. Why? That makes so much sense. I know it's crazy. I know. <laughs> I don't. I guess if they can get away with people just buying the MP3s and not giving them a physical disc, that's sure to save them some bucks. But, um, well, I would love yeah. to have the physical CD as well, but I mean, there's no way. When I saw that on iTunes, there's no way you could have just <laughs> helped me back from buying that. I mean, <laughs> it's good marketing on right. Fox's part, right? Yeah, yeah, it got buzz going, and yeah, didn't smart. seem to require yeah. much on their behalf yeah. either. No, they just no. put it out there. They're probably gonna and end you up totally making just found it on CD. Yeah, maybe, maybe so. Some people are gonna now say, "Oh, we have the digital version. I don't need the CD now." It's just or, that on iTunes, you know, the reviews, it's just sometimes I just have to bite my fist, you know, because it's sort of like, you know, I keep forgetting this is the internet. Everybody has an opinion, you know? That's right. The only like, thing worse than YouTube comments is iTunes comments. <laughs> Amazon. Wow. You get some pretty bad Amazon that bad? reviews, too. I mean, I never look, I hardly ever go on iTunes, so I never look at the comments, but I definitely look at YouTube and Amazon, and you're saying iTunes is that bad? iTunes is probably worse. They're they're pretty wow. bad. They're pretty bad. I just remember uh, when I when I got um, Tron Legacy uh, off the German iTunes back back when that came out. Um, all of the comments from the Daft Punk fans were sad about the orchestra being in there. <laughs> 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 Who let that orchestra in? Yeah. Who told, I think no the original score was going to be much more electronic, and then they had they the somebody didn't like it and they redid it more orchestral. Yeah, that's interesting that you bring up Tron because, you know, Tron Uprising was just released, uh, that one uh, free episode. Yeah. Was it a whole yep. episode or? Right. Whole episode, yeah. And what do you think? You're a big fan. I I really liked the visual style. I liked um, Joe Trapanese's music. I, I, I wasn't a real big fan of the voice acting. I didn't think Elijah Wood fit that character very well. I agree. The, the main... The central character. Right. Um, the story was okay. The writing just wasn't great. But I was just, I loved w- looking at it because it was visually really interesting. It wasn't just the same old crap that we see so much. Mm. Um, 
I thought all that was done pretty well. It was just the writing wasn't great and the voice. Elijah Wood in particular just didn't fit that for me. But I'm still interested to see the, 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 the series. Anyone else watch it? I haven't seen it, no. No, I can't. Nope. Nah, pretty much. Uh, I did pretty much agree with you on the on the uh, on the comments. I mean, that that what was that character called? That a uh, Beck? No, not Beck. What was it uh, Beck? Yes, yeah. Beck. Yeah, I thought it was just too sort of like you know feisty. Too uh, I don't know. It just didn't didn't grab. It doesn't me. sound computery. I mean, yeah. Beck. I mean, unless I'm missing something, I don't know where that fits into the. I mean, it doesn't feel like a computer word. It's kind of hard to fill the shoes of uh, Bruce, you know, playing Tron. I mean, he's got such a great voice. Yeah, um, I thought I don't know. I I thought it was interesting, but it was kind of ADD. You know, I kind of had no idea what's going on really. And <laughs> and after I was done watching, I was like, okay, what do I know now that I didn't before? I have no idea. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I guess it's just it was total backstory, <laughs> total origin stuff, which you need to tell, and maybe they just maybe better to do it that way than right. to force it into the whatever the official first episode is but uh, you know i was intrigued enough to say yeah i want to see where this goes maybe it gets better um as they go which you know things tend to do so but i i I think i tweeted a link out for it and did i post it on the blog i can't remember if i did or not but if you just go to youtube and put tron uprising uh beck b-e-c-k you'll find it is that like um the animatrix i haven't seen it yeah um well, what do you mean? I mean, in terms like of it? like in between episodes of the movies, or it's prequel. Okay. Yeah, it's prequel to Tron Legacy. Okay. Oh wait, wait, no, 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 that's not right. Is it <laughs> prequel to? I think it is. I f- I think when I first read the synopsis, it was like prequel to. I think so it's a remake the of the prequel. <laughs> Say again. I think it's. I- I'm pretty sure it's prequel. <laughs> I think it's a chat room. Do you know? Was it prequel? Is Tron Uprising prequel? To Tron Legacy in between or the two films. Sequel. Thank you, soundtrack nerd. Or Chris, it, yes. it, it was a sequel, but then again, it was a prequel to the remake of the. That's right. Obviously, it's a, it's a midquel, it's a mid-quel or whatever they call those things. Yeah, yeah. So I hope they release the score from. It's very. I mean, it's very Daft Punk esque, obviously. But there's a, there's one segment that's total Inception. I mean, I don't know if you caught that particular segment, uh, Sasha, but. Of course, it was like the famous it was Inception. Just like well, I'm listening to Inception. You know, I, I mean, I still give, just I still give, bits. I will give Hans hell when I see him. You know, say damn you for your one note motif thing. It's no. yeah. You, know, you praise him for it and you say thank you <laughs> for giving us an iconic sound to define the decade of 2010. Well, I just hope that dies really quickly. <laughs> you know, we have to do. You know, even video game composers. I mean, we have to do a lot of times what we're being asked to do and. That's not necessarily what we want to do. So eighty percent of the time, it's a Zimmer temp score. Sasha, yeah, we I mean, capable of more than one note. <laughs> yes, two notes. But uh, but see, to me, that's, that's the brilliance double. of it. <laughs> lot, lot. How many composers can come out with a single note or two notes? Well, I mean, and it defines. You know, becomes the, other than Jaws. <laughs> yeah, other than John Williams. But when was the last time he done did something like Jaws? Not a long time. Um, no one does that, and or it, it just well, everyone does it, it after Hans does it. Exactly. Well, exactly. But that's what I, that's what I object to. You know, it's it's like well, that's not I, his I fault. Think, I think it? when you have when you have I don't know how many horns he had, like eight or nine, and I don't know how many trombones at the session, it right. makes that sound just 
huge, you know. And so when you have that sure. wall of sound, I always say that a lot of things sound always better when they're loud and <laughs> really in, in your face. It doesn't mean that it's not brilliant, but it's it's. Oh, I'm getting myself into digging myself a hole here. Okay, there you are. <laughs> you are. So so on your project X, I right. I say you you get like eighteen. Piccolos and, exactly. and do your version. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely, I think that would be awesome. But you know, I can tell you that Project X, even though I really hate to use that, is not a game. It's not a movie. I can't tell you what it is, but it's really it's going to be interesting. You've been saying that for like two years. Really, <laughs> it feels like it's been two. You've been. It's not a game. It's not a movie. I, I think sure, it's been. I'm pretty sure there was a movie. Uh, called Project X that had a James Horner yeah. score. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple Project Xs. It's, that, it's the Matthew Broderick monkey movie. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And some would argue that that was not a movie. It I have no idea. Many would argue that Matthew Broderick is not an actor. <laughs> oh, no. I wouldn't argue that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't like argue that. He's Ferris Bueller as far as I'm concerned. He will always be Ferris Bueller. Anyone who's seen the Roland Emmerich Godzilla will agree with me. <laughs> I have seen it, and I would agree with him, but he's still Ferris Bueller. He was great in glory. True, he was good in glory. I'll give him that. Okay, we're, we are tangenting we are. very we're fast. We are. sidetracking. Um, so and that's what the segment is, though. So you know you can't hold that against us. Um, any other thoughts on the pr- early release of Prometheus, so we can let Sasha go and, and compose his eighteen piccolo um, <laughs> iconic one note theme for the remake of the, of the monkey movie? <laughs> exactly. Any other thoughts on Prometheus? Nope. All right, I guess we're going to move it on then. Sasha, thanks for coming and hanging out with us for a little bit and talking Prometheus and Matthew Broderick and um, Tron Uprising. <laughs> Come back when we're actually allowed to talk about the music. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait for the for the for the heated arguments to start because I can't have any sense that's coming. I don't know why. <laughs> yep. That's what we like yep. here. That's the fun. You stuff. want drama? You have me on the show, Chris. You know that. <laughs> that's that's what we. Yeah, we like. There'll be some horn locking. <laughs> that's what we want. What All we right, want. guys. Well, thanks. For, All right, thanks Sasha. For thanks. Me. All right. All right. Cheers, we'll guys. Talk to you soon. Cheers, everybody. Bye. Bye. So now um, we'll move on to what we've been listening to. Uh, and it's been a while for some of you, Helen in particular. So we're going to start with you, Helen. Okay. What have you been listening to? I've been listening to Craig Armstrong's In Time. Oh, nice. Uh, really, really nice. Love it. Love it. And I just got Avengers today. I, I'm, I'm only halfway through it. Early early impressions? Pretty good. Just uh, not overwhelmingly good, but, you know, it's all right. Yeah. Okay. But and in time was overwhelmingly yet. good. So, did you see the film? Yes, yes. Okay, I haven't watched the film yet. It's it's a good film. Justin Timberlake is a better actor than many other singers. So, <laughs> low bar. <laughs> <laughs> but Very yeah, good. the the score blew me away. So, so yeah, Craig, he is very underrated. Yeah. Craig Armstrong is very very. Anything else? That's it. I haven't been um, I haven't been very into scores recently. You've been soundtrack slapped. I have been. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's what happens when I'm no, not in the podcast. 
Oh, so the podcast is accountability for listening. That's right. Got that's it. right. <laughs> okay. Marius, what have you been listening to? Um, well, besides Prometheus, um, I have been listening to the score from Diablo 3, which recently came out. Mm-hmm. Um, Are you playing that Yes, too? I am. Well, I'm, I'm playing it on and off when the server allows me to. Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> Is it is it just being slammed? Well, see, I don't have an issue with them having server glitches because it makes sense um, given the gigant. I don't even want to think of the kind of infrastructure they need to have to handle the number of people that are trying to play the game. Um, right. But my issue with it all is that I'm in it for the single player, at least for now. Like that's I want to play single player, and yet I have to be constantly online. Online, oh. online. they're making really? you be yeah. online even if you're only playing the campaign. Yeah, like Mass Effect Three style, and I, you know, I, it's not that is stupid. I'm sorry, it's not. I, I understand. Necessary. I understand why they're doing it. It will kill piracy. Why? It gives them control over cheating. It gives uh, them an incentive. Uh, sorry, it gives the player an incentive to um, access the in-game auction house and to always have your friends available to come in and help you when you need it. Like they, they have all of these. Oh, they have all of these reasons, but. At the end mm-hmm. of the day, it means that if I go somewhere to, uh, doesn't matter where, anywhere without internet, I go to a cottage and I want to play the game, I can't do it. You can't. Yeah. And that's something that, that really, really seriously impacts um, my ability to like praise the game. Because it is wonderful. Like When you actually get in and you're playing, it's awesome. And there are some amazing game design decisions that they've made. Um, and the way that they've taken their formula and polished it without betraying some of the core uh, of what made it great i think is is awesome like they've just they deserve all the praise in the world for the game but the way that we're mm. accessing it is flawed um, mm. which has nothing to do with the music no. the music i like um i'm still coming so, to terms with it because it's very very different from the originals now Thoromass in the in the chat room is asking if it's um if the full soundtrack is completely released. Well, it's the uh collector's edition um soundtrack that I'm listening to. So okay. I I can't I have no idea if it's out anywhere else or available anywhere else. Um but okay. Yeah, um so that's what I've been listening to. Um, and also, so that was one thing in Prometheus. And then the other thing is um, the score for a little documentary called Indie Game, the movie. Um, mm-hmm. Fantastic film. If it's screening in your city, go see it. It's a wonderful, wonderful piece of documentary filmmaking. Um, okay. And the uh, the composer of the score, Jim Guthrie, um, as well as actually the uh, some of the folks in the film are from Toronto. So they're local. And uh, oh, nice. and I actually had the pleasure of interacting briefly with Jim um, earlier this month because uh, the company that he did a score for that um, kind of threw him into the limelight a little the sword and sorcery. yeah sword and sorcery um, they held an AV jam where they were asking for fan submitted art and stuff like that so I tossed in an arrangement and uh, and ended up talking to him through that and uh, very nice guy. So anyway, this score um, for Indie Game the Movie is by him, and it's uh, it's very cool. It's like a combination of his sword and sorcery stuff and a lot of other, I guess, typical indie game revival retro-y sounding material. It's kind of difficult to put into words, but it's it's very nice music if you... Uh, okay. Yeah. 
It's on Bandcamp, which is nice because you can get it in lossless. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. It's and so the film itself is called Indie Game. Yeah, Indie Game the movie. Indie Game yeah. the movie. Yeah, okay. and it's it's still not okay. sort of out in the sense that you can buy it places. It's still just going through festival towns and screening and uh, stuff like that. It's opening, I think, in New York next. It just left Toronto. Um, so, yeah, if, if you do catch it okay. in your city, highly recommend seeing it. It's, it's quite a film. Nice. We will look for that. Um, okay. Anything nope, else? That's all for me. That's it. Uh, Richard, how about you? What have you been listening to? Um, ever since we did the uh, 90s podcast, Every day I've been mm-hmm. saying, okay, I'm going to watch The Matrix again. And oh, cool. so I did the other day, and of course I've been listening to the music a lot. Um, and I used to think that uh, The Matrix Revolutions had the best score. That was I told myself, <laughs> okay, that's my favorite. But I'm thinking hmm. now, maybe the first one is my favorite. Maybe that's just because the film is so much better than the other two. Yeah, <laughs> right. But, uh, but I think they're all, all three very solid um, in terms of music. Um, so yeah, that's... Yeah. Uh, Don Davis, he should get a lot more work, I think. But. Yeah, he's stopped doing like operas yeah. and stuff now. I don't see him doing it much film stuff anymore, which is sad because those, to me, the first one is still my favorite. Um, but the second one's pretty good too. I, I, I bounce back and forth all the time. Yeah, I, but I never pick the third one as my favorite. It's either one or two. Um, but uh, yeah, good call. Good call. Now, do you have like the blue, the deluxe? blu-rays or hd dvds where you can listen to the the various commentaries uh, no I've, I've got the um the trilogy dvd thing from a long time ago i'm not sure if it's the same okay. just not hd but well when they did the when they did the ultimate that's what it's called the ultimate matrix is that the one in the first they did it on hd dvd and then they did it in for blu-ray uh if you get that if you listen to the commentary by the two philosophers um crap his name just left my head he's actually in in the third maybe the second and the third movie um oh gosh this african-american very famous uh philosopher he's a marxist what the heck is his name anyway it's him and another philosopher and if you listen to their commentary you watch all three movies and listen to their commentary it will completely change your mind about these films i mean if you're if you think the second two are are kind of just not very good. Uh, they are good, but you have to have a degree in philosophy to understand, <laughs> which is not what is not a very smart move yeah. to make for most uh, theater going audiences. It kind of reminded me of but, um, the Ender's Game series, where the first Ender's Game was sort of more straightforward, but had new uh, had a bunch of layers, and then the rest of the series was just a total like really deep, complicated philosophy of the universe kind of stuff. Oh, right. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. I never saw any of the Ender Game. Well, they're Ender's they're books, games. and then they're making the movie now. Okay, that's well, why I've seen them. <laughs> yes, I hadn't heard of that. Yes, check it out. Looks actually looks good. Oh, wait, who's responsible? Just, yes, some title and some actor just signed up for that. Some famous. Harrison Ford's it? in it. That's it. Hmm. Um. Helen, you're usually on top of IMDb. Okay. <laughs> Uh, well, there, sorry, I was looking up uh, philosophies of the Matrix. Oh, the guy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, say uh, again what what you want get, to look. I have for. it. It's Gavin Gavin Hood and Orson Scott Card um, did the 
screenplay. It's got Abigail Breslin, Ben mm. Kingsley, Haley Steinfeld, Theo yes, Davis. Gavin Hood. Um, hmm. Well, he did X-Men Origins Wolverine, didn't he? Oh, my. That's not good. Nope. <laughs> Although I don't hate that movie as much as most people. I mean, it's not great, but I don't. it's not the garbage that people seem to call yeah. it. Are you it's, sure? I think a lot of the J.J. I'm sure. people I've seen it a couple of times. I'm like, why are people hating this movie so the much? credits are I mean, awesome. I don't the, remember the, the rest of it. Credits. Not so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it looks like the J.J. Davis the Thor too. Say again? It Jeremy? looks like the J.J. Abrams folks are involved too. Uh, Roberto Orci, who do, who's involved with Fringe and, and that kind of stuff. Oh, so, right. Okay. If that gives it any more cred. <laughs> yeah, they're hit and miss. They're, kind of, they're hit and miss writers for me. Yeah. Interesting. So, so the Matrix you've been listening to. Very good. Edmund, what about you? Well, other than Prometheus, uh, I was mm-hmm. browsing YouTube for scores, and I checked out a couple cues from Danny Elfman's Men in Black 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, eh, I don't know. I f- don't think there's a whole lot he can do with that series anymore, which is probably true of the <laughs> film, too. So even going back in time doesn't seem to open things up for me. No, a bit. well, I mean, I love the I love the the main theme for that. It's insanely catchy, but I think he kind of did everything he could with it, even in the first score. And the second one was already feeling a little bit like a retread. And now this one, yeah, I he, he's got a little bit more of a sort of a electric guitar rock stance, but it doesn't really freshen it up much. I don't know. Okay, and. Um, Speaking of Danny Elfman, I've been watching, I've been going through my Tim Burton movies recently, yeah. and so I recently watched Ed Wood, which is one of my favorite Burton movies now, because it was the first time I'd seen it, and gave the score a listen. It's by Howard Shore, surprisingly, and yeah, it's fun. It's kind of a 50s sci fi retro throwback, uh, ironically, not unlike. Elfman's Mars attacks, mm-hmm. and yeah, fun little score. I didn't, I didn't know Howard Shore did that. I, I didn't even. Some reason I just assumed it was Danny Elfman. No, they had a um, Elfman and Burton had a falling out after Nightmare Before Christmas, and so Howard Shore did Ed Wood, and I can't help thinking that if if uh, Elfman had done Ed Wood, he probably would have written a score not unlike Mars attacks. Hmm. Okay. Mars attacks was such a fun that- score. Actually, just the theme. Uh, to be honest, I can't really remember more than just the theme, but yeah. that theme is so cool. <laughs> it is one of them. That opening sequence, the whole opening thing with the aliens coming in is just great. The rest of that movie is just <laughs> everywhere, all over the place. Yeah. Mars Attacks. Yeah. <laughs> but why watch I, Beyond I, that? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, just, I just watched that one today, and it's just like, what a bizarre film. <laughs> It's Tim Burton. Yeah, man. I know, but it's bizarre even by his standards. I just, it, it, I can't figure out whether he's trying to be funny or serious. There's a good movie in there somewhere. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's probably four or five good movies in there. <laughs> yeah, all on top of each other. So, anything else? Anything um, else discovered Harry Gregson Williams' score for Team America: World Police. <laughs> wow, I haven't heard I that like in a long time. One. It's a very fun little, uh, very self-aware media ventures spoof score. Um, surprisingly, foreshadows a lot of Transformers. I felt, but 
Really? Yeah, a couple of couple of things, and he's got the like, sort of the low piano strikes that Jablonski throws all over those scores, and um, the fact that Jablonski is actually an additional music writer for a lot of Gregson Williams' scores makes me wonder. But ah, that's where he learned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. Speaking of Gregson Williams, I did not know he had done anything for Prometheus. So when that all came out, I was like, "Really?" Yeah, that was another surprise yeah. of mine. I actually forgot about uh, forgot about that. I was going to mention it earlier. Yeah, yeah, I was very surprised. And his tracks stand out. They do. They definitely do. What'd you say, Helen? All in the family. Yeah, I guess so. I guess. I mean, I've just never seen those two names together. I mean. Yeah, Streitenfeld and uh, Eric Gregson Williams is just like, where did that come from? It's nice to see Gregson Williams working back with Ridley Scott again. I guess. Are you referring Kingdom to of Heaven. Kingdom of yep. Heaven? Yeah. See, that's that's one that I've never, I've never found very good. Hmm. <laughs> I just just don't enjoy that. It's just very bland. I think I remember I us talking really about that, Chris, when I was when I did the marketing for that for Kingdom of Heaven. I sent you a copy, and you're like, eh. Really? <laughs> At least I'm consistent. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I've just it's the movie as well. It's just like eh, yeah, the movie is not okay. that good, but even the director's cut, people are like, "Oh, now it's great. The director's cut is so much better." Eh, it's longer and it's a little better. But that was the year it's... when Alexander and Troy came out. Also, it's like a oh yeah, it was the year after Oof. those two. Yeah, I think. There you go. Yeah. Oh, was it? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not. Go yeah, Orlando Bloom is no Russell Crowe. That was the problem. That's the problem. He's not a leading He's, he's no Russell Crowe. He was trying his best. Yeah. And there's no Johnny Depp okay, to save him in that one. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, there wasn't. That would have made it a different uh, movie, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> a Jack Sparrow-like character in the, in a Ridley, in the Crusades. In a Ridley, uh. <laughs> that would actually... I would pay uh, to see that. I'm just... <laughs> Putting that in then it's borderline Borat or oh god or the dictator, the dictator. Or <laughs> uh, okay um, Jeremy what have you been listening so to? I have three um, as I was cramming to have something prepared for for this episode <laughs> um, the first one is Avalon by Kenji Kawai from uh, he did Ghost in the Shell wow. uh, it's the yeah. the movies kind of out there it's like a half live action half CG um, it's actually worth worth watching, um, and it, it's a really um, evocative. There's a lot of like fire in it. It actually reminds me of Eric Serra's score for The Fifth Element a lot. Oh, that's interesting. Um, it's it's really worth picking up. Um, Avalon? Avalon, yeah. It's not the the um, one with Kevin Pollak. Um, okay. So yeah, that one's worth picking up. Uh, Kenji Kawai. Yep. Huh? Is it so? It's it's anime. It's it's half. It's like um, half live action and half CG. So every movie made these days. <laughs> well, it, it right, but I think it's <laughs> not half. And I half. think it's sort of um, it's supposed to be like obviously, the, like this fantasy world right. kind of thing. It's from uh, okay. It's from two thousand one, so it's it's a little early. It's it's oh, a it it's a Momoro Oshi film, so it's a the Ghost oh, in the right. Shell folks. Um, okay. It's a foray into live action. I'm, I'm not a big Kenji Kawai fan, but um, I, if it's like Fifth Element, that that perks my yeah. ears. Um, the second one, because it was rainy here in New York for a while, is uh, Michael Brooks' score for Affliction, 
which is really <laughs> depressing. And that's yes. pretty much what there is to it. <laughs> I think most of his scores are depressing, yes. if my memory serves me this right. This one in particular, because the film also really depressing. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the last one in my sort of nostalgia pile, it's uh, Flight of the Navigator, Alan Silvestri. <laughs> Uh, you just got yes, that. I just got it. It's one of the one of the movies that I sort of grew up watching on VHS. That it mm -hmm. sort of it's it gets stuck in my head in a way I think mostly because I sort of grew up with it. Um, right. And the the score because it's mostly synth um, doesn't quite have the impact when you're just listening to the score as it would if it were actually an orchestra. It's one of those. Um, yeah. But the, there's so many themes and hooks just throughout the score that it's just, I, I really like it and I, I keep going back to it. And not easy to obtain, No, right? not anymore. No, I just, I happened to walk yeah. out on eBay. All right. So, so, yeah, I remember some years ago I looked for it and couldn't find it and just never tried again. Sylvester has a great little line of 80s cheese, synth cheese going. Indeed. If anyone's ever heard the Delta Force. Oh, I remember that movie, but I don't remember the score at all. Hmm. It's basically, it's basically Silvestri repeating this um, synth theme over and over and over again. It's fun the first time, and then, yeah. <laughs> you just cut Silvestri no slack. For the Navigator, by the way, an early Sarah Jessica Parker movie. Oh, goodness. Was she a little girl or she, something? No, she must have been. She must have, she been. Must have been like a teenager. At, oh, okay. And and uh, Pee Wee Herman, or Paul Rubens. Oh my! So, oh, so Wes, do you think it's not an '80s movie? That should tip you right off. Yeah, now now it is for sure. I, have to, I haven't seen that in so many years. I have to find it somehow. It's on DVD. It. Oh, is it? Okay, very good. I will have to. I'll check that out. It's been so long. Um, so, yeah, just to wrap it up on the what have you been listening to, I've been listening to the Avengers still, uh, kind of revisiting, saw the Avengers for the second time, you know, and I'll just say a word on that, after two times, it's like, that's enough, I'm ready for Blu-ray to see other stuff about the film, um, I was, I was surprised, I mean, I actually was really looking forward to seeing it again, and I was kind of was disappointed that I didn't, that same rush of fun and everything that I felt the first time out, it was about half because uh, you knew all the punchlines you knew everything was coming and it was still good but it dropped quite a bit in, uh, in, in its enjoyment well, it's not exactly a deep film that requires multiple sittings to fully absorb or anything <laughs> well neither is Star Wars but people don't see that in Gazine time uh, um, we and were that's younger. just to try to convince themselves that it wasn't as bad as they thought it was I know that's why I saw it multiple times it's like, what? really? Was it that? Let's go see it again. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go it's give George bad. Lucas more money and encourage him to make more yeah. of these. Exactly. I mean, it was really just a denial thing. That couldn't have been that bad. Let's go see it again. Now, this was just like, man, I want to have that fun again. And it was amazing how you could you you could immediately tell who had not seen it yet and those who had because you know the funny parts came and you'd hear the same people just howling <laughs> while the others were just kind of chuckling. Um, so it was kind of a unique experience, but I've been been keeping myself immersed in the score, and it is growing on me. It's still not great, but 
Um, and definitely, oh, the sound was a gazillion times better in, in this theater. I could actually hear the score. I could actually hear more of um, uh, Stark's little one-liners. Like, I missed the Legolas line the first time completely. That was a funny one. Uh, I mean, just just hilarious. I missed be- Either I missed it because the sound was low or because people started laughing, and then you couldn't hear you know, his snarky comeback or, or whatever. But, um, but definitely, I'm glad I saw it the second time, but that's enough. Now, I know people who've seen it 16 times, and they're just, it's crazy. It's like, why would you see that movie 16 times? Ask the Star Wars um, fans. Yeah, I mean, I am a Star Wars fan. I never saw any of the Star Wars movies 16 times in the theater. I mean, what wow. else you ever watched in the theater? Like Titanic? No, I saw Star Wars way more than Titanic. I saw Titanic like six times, but Star Wars I saw, I don't know. 10 plus. Wow. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen anything in theaters more than twice. Well, look at the day and age. You know, back in the 70s, yeah, 80s, well. if you didn't go back to see it, you weren't going to see it for years or ever. Wait till The Hobbit comes out. I won't be seeing it um, that many That times. depends on how good it is. But, no. I won't see it more than two or three times tops. Because you know in four to five months it's going to be out on Blu-ray. Back then, it was like, oh, Star Wars is back in the theater. Let's go and see it because we may never. I mean, there wasn't no one had the idea that, oh, VHS is coming right. in a few years. We No one knew that. <laughs> so it was like, oh, we got to go back and see it again. So just a, just a different day and age. Now it's like, ah, you know. Whatever. I mean, what, John Carter is already out on Blu-ray, right? It was out in April, March. Yeah. I mean, the, the window is, there's no window. It's just like, oh, I missed it. Oh, I'll just go buy it. It's just that it's just how and it watch it on my now. TV. That's almost the size of the screen in the movie theater exactly. with eighteen screens. Exactly right. Exactly right. So Avengers, been watching. It's growing on me. Still not great, but I can appreciate it more. And then the second, secondly, I've been listening to a score from a um, a game called Catacomb Snatch, and I love the title. <laughs> um, it, it was a game that was actually part of one of the original Humble Bundles, um, but the score itself is by two people. I don't know how to pronounce the second one at all, but the first composer's quote-unquote name is C418, and a couple of tracks are done by someone by the name of Anasu, A-N-O-S-U. And really fun score, kind of has a Middle Eastern vibe, as you would expect, um, with catacomb snatch, I guess you might expect that. It's kind of set in Egypt and all that sort of thing, but it, then it has kind of a chill-out, breakbeat, 8-bit kind of mix in there. And it's on Bandcamp, and I believe it was free. Um, so just go go to Bandcamp and, and search for Catacomb Snatch, and uh, you can check out the music there. And really, really good stuff. Um, I really love the stuff that's coming out in these humble bundles. I think I bought, I did buy the last one, which came with a couple soundtracks uh, that I've been listening to a little bit, but but I haven't fully gotten into them yet. So um, Catacomb Snatch, check it out at Bandcamp. So that's what we've been listening to. And, of course, we love to know what you guys are listening to. We like to see what the chat room's listening to. But if you want to let us know, you can uh, email us at soundcast at tracksounds.com or give us a call and leave us a voicemail and tell us, 407-512-0614, or tweet at us, at tracksounds. Tell us what you've been listening to. We may have missed something great, and uh, we don't want to miss anything. So you let us know what you've been listening to.
So let's move it on to our main topic of the night, which is soundtracking best practices. How do we listen to our soundtracks? What is our what are our favorite means of consuming the music that we love so much? So what we're going to do, we're going to kind of go through it category by category. We're going to talk about streaming. We're going to talk about offline media players. And we're going to talk about subscription bases uh, or versus purchasing music. Um, and then apps that we use to listen to our music offline. Um, so let's, I'm going to just kind of go through some and, and uh, name them. And we'll just discuss them uh, and see who uses what. Um, starting off, Spotify. How many are into Spotify? Nope. Not available in Peru. Hmm. Oh, okay. That's my default. Spotify, default. yeah. I was a Rhapsody user for like 10 years and then realized that they basically hadn't updated their software in those 10 years. Um, <laughs> yes. Right. I mean, they do They do have the best library just because they've been around so long, but I, I switched over to Spotify and that's been my, my um, default for all things streaming. Hmm, interesting. See, I I don't like the ads. No. Yeah, that's that's what turned me I, off. Well, I pay for I it now. I'm using the free version. Because of that. Ah, I see. Yeah, well, it, it worked. did. Exactly. It worked for... <laughs> I don't know why the advertisers are okay it. with that, but... <laughs> that's true. Well, Spotify's yeah. happy about it. Yeah, after about two or three times where I was in a nice listening groove and the stupid ad popped in, I was like, you know what? This is not the way I want to listen. And to it's music. never anything relevant nice. to the what you're listening to. So it's yeah, like some horrible right. country thing or, or whatever. I mean, it was such a big deal. Now, well, Edmund and Richard, you're in the UK. It's been it's been in the UK forever. Is that you guys listen to Spotify? Can't say I do. I've dropped by there a few times, but not on a regular basis. Uh, Richard, I used you? to, but um, yeah, the ads and when it came a charge subscription, I kind of lost track of it really. Is it subscription only? I thought it was still a free version. I think you can only listen to so much until you have to. That's how it is in the in the UK. It's not like that in here. Yeah, there's some oh. some things are restricted. Some things aren't. What do you guys think of their catalog of soundtracks? I, I was kind of surprised at at what they had when I did use it. Oh, gosh, I haven't been there in so long. Hmm. Okay, is it available in Canada? Or nope, Mary's? not yet. Okay. Are you like anticipating it, or you don't? No, really it can care? stay the hell out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right then. Moving on to Spotify. <laughs> um, um, uh, let me mention Groove Shark next because uh, there's another one on the list right before it. But I want to go with Groove Shark first. Uh, I, that's actually my favorite um, to use when I do use it because it's quick. It's easy. Do a search. Boom. There it is. And uh, no ads, at least audio ads, and I, that's that's my favorite. I use that though. I don't use any of them a lot, but when, when I do, I use Groove Shark. Anyone else? I'm in the same boat. Yeah, yeah, Groove Shark has been the one that's been best for me. I actually won a uh, premium subscription or something like that last year, um, so I had oh, a nice. full free year of their premium everywhere subscription thing. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. honestly, I didn't take very like I didn't take advantage of all of the being able to listen on my phone kind of thing. Um, right. However, uh, I really I do like what they have um, in terms of selection and especially in terms of uh, for some reason, I found it very 
soothing the way that they allow you to like and organize tracks. Like I just found it very quick to look for something and then kind of explore yes. from there. Uh, and like the radio stations and being able to skip around and do all that kind of stuff. And um, I, I don't know, I, I, I felt good about using the service. And I actually, as an artist, I they gave me an artist account too. And I put some stuff up and that experience was also quite seamless. So oh, nice. Uh, what does that mean? What do you get as an oh, artist? Oh, dick all. You don't get anything um, like money wise <laughs> or anything. Like that. On all of these services, are totally no. Um, but I, I mean, you get the you get the ability to um, control at least um, your content being on there. So rather than having you know who knows who put up a terrible quality version oh, of I the see. track, I'm putting up you know yeah. a, a nice MP3 of it, and it's tied to my account and and blah blah blah. And I'm sure they've got metrics and stuff like that in there as well somewhere. But honestly, I didn't didn't really dig into it because I have very little interest in um, having my work up on these sites. Uh, in general, huh. so why? Well, because they don't. They're, they're very, very. Uh, uh, okay, in the interest of diplomacy, they're not as friendly to artists as I would like for them to be, in terms of sure. um, not only compensation but just giving them the tools to manage their stuff. Um, and I have a, a huge problem. Actually, GroupShark is great for that. That's why I um, I kind of like them because they do let you manage your stuff. Last FM is a nightmare to try and reclaim tracks that are yours that others have put up, so you can manage them and do things like that. That is a whole song and dance that's just not not cool. Hmm. Before we go to Last FM, anyone else use GroupShark? Not. It used to be it sometimes. You use yeah. it sometimes? Yeah, yeah, not a lot, but... Okay. It used Jeremy? to be kind of gray area legally, right? As, as far as I know, right? Yeah. When it started, it was just like, it would search YouTube and a bunch of things and just aggregate stuff. Am I making that up? Uh, I don't remember. I think that. when yeah, it I, first started. Yeah. It's got a bit of a, a, a shady background, or, or seemingly it shady. Does. And I mean, even now, um, they're they're not officially allowed on the app store, you know, on, on Apple's, uh, you have to have a jailbroken phone to have their app. Uh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so there's, there's still, I don't know. I, I guess they're not really, I know there's lawsuits and things, or at least yeah. there's things going well, one on. One of the things that I really yeah. like about group shark is that it seems to be the most open in terms of international availability. Um, like when I'm linking someone to something on group shark, I haven't yet encountered someone yep. who said, oh, I can't, it's not available in my country, something like that. Oh, Whereas see, with almost yeah. all of the other ones, um, inevitably there will be stuff that you just can't, either you can't access it or you can't share it with people who are elsewhere or it just feels mm -hmm. kind of closed in. And if I'm trying to, like the whole point of these is to have a sort of social experience of your music to some extent. And if I can't yeah. do that on the service that's supposed to give me that, then it's not doing anything more for me than any other music player. Um, it's, yeah. it's getting in my way. So it's, it's not, you know, the, the user experience is not what I'd like for it to be. Groove Shark, sure. least of all of them, from my perspective. Hmm. And maybe it's because they're not necessarily paying attention to label restrictions on regions. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I, and I guess that's that's an interesting trade-off. You know, it's either you stick to the law or you deliver a good product at the expense of some, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Well, the, the, the next one is Pandora. Um, anybody using Pandora to listen to soundtrack? I used to love Pandora when I was in the States, but not available where I am now. Yeah. Really? I didn't realize that. I didn't realize it was country restricted, but I guess most of the Even YouTube videos are restricted in Peru. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> They're restricted here, too. Sometimes yeah. people tweet things. I click on it, and I'm like, what do you mean? Like, a lot of things that, well, not a lot, but occasionally uh, Richard will tweet something like that's probably got music, and it's just like, nope, can't see it here. It's very odd. Yeah. Although it's probably not as bad as in Germany. I can't do Hulu. I can't do a lot of network streaming stuff. Just, yeah, right. nothing. But Pandora's good when, when you can get it. <laughs> when you can get it. Anyone else? Pandora? Not in Canada. Oh, really? really? Wow, that's surprising. They've been around for so long, I would have thought they Yeah, they've been promising now. that they're going to come up for a while now, and I keep checking back periodically, but nope. Hmm. So Interesting. Richard, uh, Pandora? I think I used it once a few years ago. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure if I did. It may have been something else. <laughs> so I guess that's my impression of it. <laughs> I guess that's a no. Edmund, Pandora? I heard of it. <laughs> wow you guys are amazing Jeremy did you say you um, used it I used it when I first came out but honestly I don't think the recommendations are that good or it, it doesn't tend to give me mm. more stuff that I like um, especially compared to last mm, FM mm-hmm. okay. it says on the well we'll go to on the site go ahead. it's only available in the US nowhere else oh really I did not know this um, well we'll go to last FM next but I'll just say I use Pandora. Just started when when I when I started using Google TV, um, but I don't use it for soundtracks. I, 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 their soundtrack selection, or at least the way it recommends, is not very good. So I use it for classical music or all kinds of other music, but I don't use it for soundtracks. Um, so let's move to Last FM. I think, uh, Marius, you were you were having some nice things to say about Last FM a minute. Well, ago. no, okay, so so. Let me be clear. I think Last FM has a great service going. I think the whole notion of scrobbling is a very cool way of socializing listening. Um, personally, yeah. I have never wanted to share what I'm listening live with others for any reason. Uh, so, so yeah, I don't like. I, I don't find that it's useful to me. But I recognize that it's a very popular thing, and I see a lot of my friends using it. And the way that they've actually implemented the whole system is awesome. And they've opened it up so you got you know other applications that let you um, scrabble things as you're listening to them in in that app, and so that's great. But um, just as as an artist who because one day someone said, oh, I've you know listened to your track on Last FM, and I thought terrific. Um, first of all, that track isn't supposed to be released. Second of all, I didn't put it there, so uh-huh. you know I, I went and sure enough, I've got some stuff on there that. Um, is either ancient, terrible, or not supposed to be released, and I didn't put it there. So I said, okay, no problem, whatever, it's the internet. Uh, I'll just, you know, reclaim it and, and deal with that. Um, yeah, right. not not happening. Uh, those tracks, as far as I know now, are still up there, and they get that's ugh, just a nightmare okay. trying to... You know, I made an account, but then trying to claim tracks that others have put up and then trying to manage them and it's just ugh. so mm. doesn't sound fun anyone else use last fm i never have i've seen it looked at it and like i have no use for this never used it not never i used it once like three or four years ago i got into it for about a month and 
Yeah, and then it just lost interest in it, sort of kept kept shuffling me to weird things, and I don't know. <laughs> and I will say they I, have a big catalog, though. Yeah, that they do. Do they? Yeah, they they've do. got a very big catalog, so that that much they've got going for them for sure. It, it is nice sometimes to get su- su- surprised by something obscure that you'd never expect to find there. That's true. Right. I, I remember okay. that. I don't actually remember much about my time there. Okay. Anyone else? Yeah, so I'm kind of a, I guess I would call myself a Last.fm power user. I've been I've been on that site since oh. 2004. I'm looking at my profile now. Um, I have scrabbled uh-huh. 31,511 plays. Whoa. Um, so what I, what I like about their recommendations is it's actually based on what I listen to rather than what I want people to think I like. Um, so if there's, if there's stuff that like sounds impressive or, you know, if I consider myself a, a whatever, a Radiohead fan, just to pull a name out of the air, um, that's something mm-hmm. I would just self-select, but that, that wouldn't necessarily reflect what I actually listen to. So because, um, last FM has all this data about what I actually listen to and spend time listening to, um, it, I think, I feel like it makes much better recommendations in terms of their radio, um, than things like Pandora, which are, are, don't take into account my, my personal taste at all. Oh, I see. Okay. Doesn't it, doesn't Pandora at least, I mean, if you like thumb yeah. up a track, right, but it doesn't it have 31,000 kind of pieces of data about me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. Okay. And last okay. of them has a, has a huh. quote unquote love system too, where, where it'll, you know, you can love a track and it'll, it'll give it a higher weight in, in making recommendations. And I find that their radio recommends has a much higher ratio of recommending me stuff that I don't know and I like than any any other recommendation oh. service. And that's really kind of what I'm looking for. Okay. And now this is across all genres yeah, yeah, yeah. or yeah. – okay. Okay. Well, I'll have to give it I a think shot. It's, it, I mean, it's one I, of those I, that the more you put into it, the more you get out. It's kind of like Twitter. Like I don't know if people remember just starting Twitter and not following anyone, it kind of doesn't make any sense. It's not at all intuitive. It's like, what the hell am I doing? I'm tweeting about my breakfast. It's just like nothing's happening. (laughs) I'm looking at it, but nothing's happening. But the more you use it, the the more valuable it becomes. Okay. Okay. So I will put Last FM FM back on my list to to give it a shot again. Um, Helen, Last FM? Never heard of it before today. Wow. Okay. It's been around forever. Um, well, in the interest of moving things along a little bit, uh, there's a, f- a few more listed. RDO, Deezer. I've never heard of Deezer. Rhapsody, I used about 10 years ago. Uh, anybody have anything to say about Deezer, RDO, or, or Rhapsody? Um, on, on the topic of RDO, I will just say that of all of these, it has the most amazing design by far. Um, the the experience. Mm. It's very simple, well, right? Well, it, it's sort of straightforward, but it's extremely well thought out, and it's got apps okay. on all um, platforms, basically, and all of those are extremely consistent and well-designed. Um, so the actual the experience of using RDO is awesome. I, I basically um, did a month-long trial of their paid um, service, and I was satisfied in some ways, unsatisfied in others. Quite a limited catalog, Um on multiple mm. occasions, I was looking up albums, and um, rather than the whole album being unavailable in my country, which would have been like okay, I you know licensing, 
several tracks within the album were not available. So I, you know, I'm sitting here going, okay, I'm listening to, for instance, this Dead Mouse record, and Dead Mouse is from Toronto, so there's that. But you know, a bunch of his records, and there's like selected tracks from the albums that I'm allowed to listen to, and others are just grayed out. And there's no actual explanation of why they're grayed out. I don't know if it's because it's a regional thing. I don't know if it's a licensing thing. I don't know if they just don't like me, but I can't listen to them. And it's there doesn't seem uh. to be any logic to which ones are available, which ones aren't. And so there was there were some issues with it that made me not renew. Um, but just in terms of of, of using their application and using um, the service and listening to things and, and having it be available on every device. Um, that was great. So, you know, good on them for that. Okay. But yeah. 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 I tried RDO when it, I think it was still in beta and it was invite only. And I was kind of like, oh, okay. I mean, it wasn't giving me anything that I wasn't getting. Yeah. Try, there, the, the redesign so basically tried. gave it a much better look, but ultimately in terms of catalog and in terms of stuff like that, it's not really... It's not really going to give you much okay. that the others can't. Yeah, I agree with. Okay, I agree with that. It does. It definitely does. The uh, the design is the best of all of them, but it's the catalog is very limited, and there's some weird interface things like creating a library is kind of complicated. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, soundtrack nerd just posted SoundCloud, which is something I just wrote down. Um, I love SoundCloud for discovering some music. I don't use it as, you know, I'm going to go just like listen to a lot of stuff. It's when I just want to poke around and find something new to listen to or, you know, something obscure. Um, but I don't ever go to it to like do a long listening session. Um, it's great platform and it, I mean, it's a wonderful tool. Um, I think we probably all have had some experience with it to some degree or yeah. another, uh, yeah. But um, how do you guys use it? I know you use it quite a bit, Marius. Well, yeah, I mean, SoundCloud is sort of where all of my music lives on the Internet. Um, but for the sake of clarity, I would point out that SoundCloud is not really the same kind of thing as these other services that we're talking true. about. I mean, the, all the others are Very subscription true. music services, whereas SoundCloud is a social network for uh, audio sharing, essentially. And by yeah, the way, once you guys get into the beta, it will blow your minds what they have done with it. It's so cool. Oh, it is so cool. Some things uh, I'm not okay. so happy I'm with, but just the overall impression is awesome. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I love SoundCloud. I mean, I, there, are, there are issues that I have with it, mostly about the way that they encode things um, and, uh, and yeah. you know stuff like that. But in terms of service in terms of their player in terms of being able to share track you know do whatever with with the music that i put there and that i discovered there stuff. exactly that is just mm -hmm. they're peerless absolutely peerless it's amazing what they've done yeah and of course you can find stuff from track sounds on soundcloud we've got our soundtrack or sound uh, soundcast vault stuff there mm -hmm. kind of behind the scenes or the stuff that hit the editing floor or never made it to be published um, our audio reviews are on SoundCloud, and uh, so we love SoundCloud, um, but not for what? Not for the particular? Not for streaming music? Yeah, kind of a sick. different, different kind of use. Yeah. Deezer. Who wrote Deezer downs? I don't know what the heck that is. I I've wrote Deezer because um, I had several of my friends leave audio for Deezer, um, and I think Deezer mm. is new, brand new. Um, 
I haven't used it yet. I've browsed around their site. It seems to basically say, hey, we do all this stuff that the other people do, but it's totally free. Yay. Um, <laughs> however, I think the reason that they can say that is because they're not actually affiliated with any labels. So the music that's on there now is all indie, small, relatively unheard okay. of folks, which is not a bad thing because it's... Uh, I don't know if you've heard of a site called wearehunted.com. That's basically an aggregator of very high-quality indie stuff that you've not likely heard before. Um, and I go there all the time because I discover songs and artists that I would never, you know, have heard of otherwise. Uh, and it's sure. before they, you know, really make it big anywhere. You can kind of discover them and then be one of the cool ones in the coffee shop later on that goes, oh, well, I, I knew them before they were big. <laughs> Um, right. Oh God! But anyway, so so I think Deezer is kind of the the uh, subscription service equivalent of that kind of thing at this point. Um, I just put it up mm -hmm. because it was another one that came into my sphere of attention. And yeah, no, I'm glad you did. I, I, and now is it? It's not just like Canada only. Is it I like honestly don't know. I mean, I like I said, I've I've only briefly browsed around the site. I haven't really used it actively, and I haven't actually talked to anyone from a different part of the world who's used it or not, so I, I can't say. Well, we'll skip the offline media players for now. I, I added one to offline media players that I think is, is relevant to, to what Marius was talking about. So Tomahawk is sort of like a... It, it's an app for um, Mac and PC and Linux. Uh, there's no mobile anything yet. And it's sort of like a it's, a... it's an audio player, sort of iTunes replacement, but it's also a um, meta playlist um, tool in that you can create playlists that are platform agnostic. So if you wanted to create a playlist um, of, you know, soundtrack stuff, um, it would pull from SoundCloud and Spotify, if you have a Spotify premium, and YouTube, and a bunch of different places, and just sort of have that playlist be multi-platform and not locked into any one tool. Um, and then you can actually export oh, it to the web and, and link people to it, and it'll play in whatever... Um, media player they have which i think is it's really really an amazing project um in that they're sort of decentralizing in a way that that i know marius you were talking about being frustrated by um you know having things locked into one platform or another yeah now i tried that a, lo a long time ago i don't know a year or two ago and for some reason what you just described yeah, is not it's, what it, i it's remember gotten a lot better. doing for some it's reason it's gotten a lot more apparent what it mm. does i think uh-huh so that that's one worth okay. checking out. You had some interesting numbers here that I think the, everyone will be interesting interested to hear um, about subscription based versus versus purchasing um, music. Oh, you didn't put that, that, didn't put that there. Oh, that was you. Okay, I just assumed it was sorry, um, Jeremy. Uh, that's okay, uh, Mary. So why don't you elaborate on that? On um, that so I, I basically did some digging because one of the things that I don't like, uh, as I was saying earlier about these streaming music services, is that they're not really very kind to their artists in terms of um, paying them for plays. And on the one hand, I understand that it's very difficult to, um, I guess, quantify the value of a streamed play. Um, but on the other hand it's not like there's any lack of technology for tracking how many plays or anything like that. Um, you know, for radio, you could make the excuse that, oh, it's being broadcast, but who knows how many listeners we really have and who knows and blah, blah, blah. But on the internet, you know exactly and you know who they are and where and what gender and 
uh, how long they're listening yeah. for, and it, like it's it's very um, very trackable. So anyway, the um, the numbers are just an overview of the most recent um, royalty payouts that I could find for the sites. Um, they're current more or less as of this May. Um, Spotify pays on average zero point zero zero four eight dollars per stream. Um, Rhapsody pays zero point zero one one three per stream, which is a little better, but they've only got one million active users, whereas Spotify has ten million. So that balances out somewhere in there. Uh, Last FM pays zero point zero zero four seven five or so, and uh, Pandora. For non-subscription plays, um, I, I couldn't find anything on on the others. So non-subscription, I assume, is uh, when you can't skip too many and stuff like that. Anyway, that's zero point zero zero one three dollars. Yeah, and Groove Shark is nice and evasive about it. They say that they split off a sizable <laughs> chunk. I quote directly from the uh, from the artist page. So that's encouraging. Okay, um, but they don't actually mention any numbers, and so that's a little funny. But uh, there was a chart that went around yeah. a couple of years ago. Uh, it was this big chart with a bunch of pink bubbles that showed um, the amount of sales or streams and stuff like that that you would need on each of these services in order to make minimum wage. And I found an mm. updated version of that chart along with some of these numbers. And just as a as a ballpark figure, um, to make Minimum wage in the United States on something like Spotify or Rhapsody, you would need to consistently be bringing in 200 uh, to 250,000 monthly plays um, on your material. Uh, So it's not exactly what I would call a lucrative uh, environment. There are some folks who've uh, who've been very, very lucky and have, you know, made significant amounts of money, but... For the majority of artists, it's really not a very friendly place. Um, so yeah. So you would you would have to be, you'd have to be an established star already to to make anything off of. Yeah, off and of the people. notion is uh, labels want stuff to be on there because it's a very social platform. So chances are that even if it's not making the artist a whole lot of money, it's getting them a bunch of exposure and plays to. A fairly wide audience, which is you know that can yeah. that can have benefits from a different angle and um, but as an independent artist it's it's really a matter of luck and and sort of being extremely talented or you know becoming a viral hit essentially in order right. to be profitable or to even have a meaningful income from that kind of thing so sure. right, just some just some statistics interesting. No, it's very interesting. So in the end, our takeaway is if you really want to support the artists that you're listening to or the music that you're – yeah, the artists that you're listening to by, by their yeah, – Yeah, that, that was basically – Well, you're supporting was, them more. That was basically what I wanted to, huh? to say with, with all of that is that if you're like really into an artist, find try and find the most direct route because ultimately from the consumer's perspective, all of these services – are about convenience. So if you want to use them to listen to music, absolutely, sure. by all means, go for it. Wonderful. Pick your favorite. But if you're trying to support the artist, then find an avenue that's actually giving them a meaningful amount of money because the subscriptions that you pay for these sites are only buying you convenience. They're not, they're not putting bread on the tables of, uh, of the artists that you're listening to. Right. 
Right. Well, that's, it's good to know. I mean, because people may not know, and they might just assume, well, I know they're getting paid something every time I listen to it, so I'll yeah. just do well, that. Well, now you know how much. So, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Any other comments on, on well, that? Well, that's not to say that buying a CD is immediately going to put $10 in their pocket either. Oh, definitely. No, true. But, but again, you know, it's, it's a, it's a matter true. of comparing. And that's why I say, you know, try and, try and see if the artist has a, a several different means of getting their stuff. If you can do it in a direct way or a more direct way, that's probably favorable. I was always surprised in working in the music business that more artists didn't just have a PayPal button on their websites. So people, you know, if I stream an artist um, for a while and I like them and I don't necessarily want to buy the CD, but I feel like I want to contribute to their well-being, I should just be able to give them money. Yeah, I, I think I think yeah. a, a, some artists don't feel too comfortable with that. It almost feels like begging or but Charity. I guess if it's yeah, I mean I guess if it's done well, it certainly makes sense from from the perspective that you just mentioned. I mean if it's if it's a matter of okay, I just discovered you and I don't, you know, maybe I even can't buy or listen to your albums, but I want to show you some appreciation, that would be a, a, a the most direct possible way of doing it. Yeah. And and just to uh move along on that, uh you know, we have a donate button on the Soundcast. And people listen to the Soundcast all the time. I know it because I see the traffic. And if you feel so led, you can support Soundcast by clicking on that PayPal donate button. And because uh, we get point zero 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 for every stream. <laughs> that's the That's the deal we got. So, uh, you can help balance those scales out a little bit. Um, well, you mentioned something a second ago, uh, Marius, which is kind of a good segue between uh, the, these two segments. Because uh, the next one I want to talk about was purchasing. Yeah. And uh, Bandcamp is kind of good for a lot of things. Um, it is a very direct way to buy uh, f- that support the artists. But it's usually you can listen to in full all of the tracks sometimes there's one or two that you can't listen to for whatever reason but most of the time it's like you can listen to the whole freaking thing yep. if you want to um and i really have come to love Bandcamp. um I, I love the kinds of music that are being offered there i love how simple it is i love that you can get lossless audio um how many of you use Bandcamp? i don't use it <laughs> but it does remind me of um of the way that um, Klaus Bottle's online store works, he, he does. Band okay, camp. well then, does I do use it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's he's just embedded it, or he's just built it. Yeah, I use Bandcamp, camp, but that's that's how I sell whatever I'm selling music-wise, um, and it's honestly the best experience I've yet discovered for selling things. Um, my biggest criteria was to be able to sell lossless audio. That was like number when I was looking for a place to you know put things up for sale. I my number one priority was I want to give people lossless audio. I do not want them dealing with um, iTunes quality encoding. It's just I, I I don't care if they don't care. I care. You know what I mean? Right. I want them to be yeah. able to you know get a full lossless wave of the thing if they're so inclined to do so that's but i 
but I bet most people don't download them. You know what? I don't get statistics on that, so I can't actually tell you. Yeah, no, I'm not. Oh, really? Or or I should say, if I do get them, I don't know where to find them because the main stats page doesn't seem to. I don't think it gives you that. Because most people don't know what lossless is. They're like, what is that? A flack? What is that? No, I know what an MP3 is. Yeah, but you know what? I wish they so would be. Get... I, I wish they'd have like a legend or something. Because, for instance, the Apple um, lossless audio codec will play in there. Like, as far as they're concerned, it'll look just like the MP3 when they pull it into iTunes. It's still got all the metadata. It's still got the album art, uh, but the audio quality right. is, you know, transformatively better. Um, and hmm. I guess most people are concerned also about space. If they're going to be putting things on their iPods, they, you know, you you can fit a whole lot less on there if you're having them all right at lossless quality but um my from my perspective i just want them to have the option that's that's really important to me that they have the option that they can get it in whatever format they want without um without having to convert it on their own even you know because that's another thing is it's not like just oh lossless or mp3 it's whatever format you want and we'll just deliver it right in that format you can sell cds on there too Mm. right am i making that Yep, physical physical merchandise yeah. even. It doesn't even have to be CDs. I know some artists have packaged up like T-shirts and yeah. uh, vinyl stuff. And, yeah, Jim, yeah, Jim Guthrie's yeah, done Jim, some great stuff. Jim really stuff. uses Bandcamp very well. So, I, I kind of feel like yeah. Bandcamp is what CD Baby should have turned into. Yes. It's kind of like the yep. evolution You're of right. it. Yeah. Yeah, it really should have. It really should have been what Bandcamp well, is. Well, CD Baby, but, uh, CD Baby's I love Bandcamp, perspective but... was more: I want to help artists get into as many different stores and distribution channels as possible. Yeah, you know, same kind of thing with Reverb Nation mm-hmm. and uh, these other ones. It's like, okay, I'm selling something through them. They're going to handle all of the submission to the stores and stuff like that. So, oh, whereas Bandcamp is okay. like, no, you know, we're, it's just Bandcamp. You're selling on Bandcamp, period. But because you're doing that, you set your own prices. You can say, you know, pay what you want. You can include other stuff. You can, you know, there's no restrictions that you would get from one of the bigger stores. The compromise being, obviously, that the available audience to see your stuff is significantly smaller. Uh, so, how else do we buy? I mean, just quickly what where do you guys buy the majority of your soundtracks from if i can i'll walk into a store and get it but that's just not exactly easy to do in a welsh city of 20,000 <laughs> now why why would you want to walk into a store to get it is that the it's, easiest way um, is that what you're saying i don't know it if it it, it it i suppose it feels best <laughs> It feels like actually getting something. I, I, I definitely prefer to have the physical CD whenever possible because I like to have something physical to put on a shelf and own. And, yeah. uh, you know, have a, little, okay. have a little booklet and a jewel case and, and a spine yeah. looking at me. I mean, I just think that that's nicer. Um, yeah. But, yeah. I agree with you. I mean, you. the last CD I walked into a store and got was The Adventures of Tintin. I couldn't. I couldn't tell you the last time I've been in a, mu- a record yeah, and, store. And whenever I see I, like I, a, a store doing used CD sales, I do. I do pop in and see you know, on the off chance that they might have something. Um, uh, otherwise, I I ordered a lot of physical CDs online from things like Amazon or or right. use on eBay even sometimes. Although 
not not if they're asking extravagant yeah. prizes or anything. Um, and right. whenever I go to America in the summer, I go into half price books and stock up on their cheap CDs. Very good. Um, Helen, what about you? Where do you normally buy? Um, your I music? have a annual subscription to eMusic.com. Uh, you pay. Uh-huh. I can't remember. I can't remember how much. Like a hundred dollars, and you get twelve dollars credit per month and most of their cds are six or so you know you, you get two albums per month for a hundred bucks a year so it it's works out pretty well numbers wise so i i like emusic.com a lot and if they don't have it then i go to uh, amazon or itunes okay now do you do you miss the f- getting physical cds oh yeah, yeah yeah i'm i'm a used cd store hound just okay. like edmund love it <laughs> nice nice um richard what about you how do you most most often um, buy your music well recently obviously as you know i really like uh, japanese scores right um so i kind of take what i can get from wherever it is because i never know when they're going to release it anywhere um and this they seem to be on Amazon and iTunes, they seem to be getting more of those in. Looking right now, uh, two scores from Hiroyuki Sawano, mm. which is surprising. I'm, they're the only ones he's had on the store, and uh, they've just come out. So I'm going to check those out. Is um, it on iTunes or where? On Amazon. On Amazon, uh, okay. Yeah. Mm. So I prefer to have the CD as I think most people would, but... Um, I obviously can't get it most of the time. It's these guys looking on Amazon. One of the scores I already have. Mm-hmm. I've had it for a long time by Naoki Sato and Pandora, selling on Amazon for 152 pounds. What pounds? Yeah. yeah. Holy so moly. that's. I already have that because the Japanese friend gave it to me um, from Japan. So. Oh okay. Not lucky, but Good deal. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't have much of their music. So. Hmm. What about you, Jeremy? How do you? buy your music mostly um i too love going to uc stores um every time i'm on vacation somewhere i'm in new york city but every, every time i'm on vacation somewhere i make it a point to go flip through the bins um because inevitably i will find something for like two dollars that would be 30 on amazon or, or somewhere else right um in terms of my listening habits i'll i will immediately look for something on spotify or, or streaming just to check it out, just to sort of try before I buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if I like it, I will, I will go to Amazon um, to to pick up a CD, usually used, which I guess nothing goes to the artist, but times are tough yeah. um, <laughs> for everyone. <laughs> yeah, um, it's true. Uh, Reverb Nation, I'm not, I know of it. I've, I've seen artists' pages there. You can actually buy their music through Reverb Nation? Yeah, you can. Okay, you can, but that's not really the the point. It's it's more uh, like I was saying. It it and CD Baby and a few others like TuneCore are basically their mandate is to help you distribute music as widely as possible. Mm-hmm. So they will facilitate the process of getting it onto whatever other stores you want. Okay, so that's kind of that. That's what they're best at. And they do, to be fair, they make it really, really quick. Like, you'll submit something and they can get it through the channels swiftly and handle all of the uh, complications. If you're not familiar, you just don't want to waste time with, uh, you know, the submission process for each individual store. Okay. 
Okay. Understood. Ah, I got a better understanding of what that's all about. Very good. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up uh, for this edition. Uh, hopefully, everyone listening was maybe you heard of some service that you never knew of before. Um, some outlet that you didn't know that was out there where you could buy music. Uh, maybe you didn't realize what artists made or didn't make off of this off of the individual streams of the music you might be listening to. But all in all, a, a very interesting conversation on how we do our soundtrack listening. And um, so special thanks to you, Jeremy. Thanks for coming on again and uh, sharing your knowledge and experience with us. And um, where can people find more about you and what you're doing right now? Sure. Uh, I'm at Jeremy Myers on Twitter and deepercontext.com is my business. Okay. Very good. Um, Marius, where can people find you? Anywhere. Anywhere, really. Just look for Mathazar. It's Wherever you care to look, I'm probably there. Okay. Uh, Helen, what about you? How can people find and follow you? Twitter at Helen-san. Anywhere else? Uh, Facebook, Helen-san. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's about MySpace? <laughs> Is there a MySpace? I know. I don't have anything like we that. We didn't talk about MySpace. We'll have to do that some other time. No, uh, we don't. I'm sorry. It's it's coming back. It may not come. It won't come back to where it was, but it's it's not as bad as it was. Um, we weren't going to talk about it. What's that? <laughs> I thought we weren't going to talk about it. But we didn't. I did. But we didn't. Okay. <laughs> um, Richard, how can people find and follow you? Uh, yeah, um, at Monkey Butler Man on Twitter. Very good. And uh, Edmund, where can people find and follow you? At Edmund Meyers on Twitter or on Facebook. Awesome. So, of course, you can follow us at Track Sounds if you like, or follow me at, at C. Coleman on, on Twitter. Again, you can contact us, soundcast at tracksounds.com, or leave us a voicemail. What, what do you use to listen to your music or stream your music or whatnot? Uh, 407-512-0614. Leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, so, uh, I think we're going to say, we, there was a couple more categories in, in this whole thing that we didn't hit just because we're pushing two hours and we need to wrap this baby up. We'll, we'll, we will do another episode like this in the future where we hone in on what we use for our offline listening pleasures. Uh, but until then, uh, you're going to have to hold tight till we get there. And so, until we're on the internet together again talking about this great stuff, we ask you to stay tuned. Stay tuned.